Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, for those of you who are new to the Radio Islam family, you're just tuning in for the first time. You can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media where you will find us at Radio Islam USA. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. So subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, we're on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, and you'll find us also at Radio Islam USA. All right, uh, family, today we are joined uh, on the phone by Carol Leonard. Uh, she is an activist, advocate for criminal justice reform. Uh, she's the founder of Prison Reform Movement, which was created in 2003. Uh, she started her activism with the Yahoo group, and seeing the need for more information and support for families of the incarcerated, she moved her platform to Facebook in 2007 and Twitter in 2009. So she admins a large Facebook group and a Facebook page, and her followers on social media number close to 70,000. So she works full-time and is also a full-time student pursuing degrees in criminal justice and sociology. Welcome to Radio Islam, Carol. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yes, yes. So you are in a really important, uh, an important area of advocacy, um, one where uh, prisoners are often, they are often our forgotten the forgotten members of society. Uh, once they are incarcerated, they're behind the walls. People, uh, aside from you know their, their closest loved ones, their closest friends, uh, tend to forget about them. So the work that you're doing in uh, prison, uh, uh, with prison reform, is extremely important. So could you tell us a bit about your path to prison reform activism? Well, it is a little personal. Mm -hmm. um, I was involved with someone for many years um, who literally could not stay out of the system. Mm -hmm. They were on a revolving door, um, in and out, in and out. And, um, you know, one parole technical uh, violation led to months back in prison. And that could be just from a failure to provide an address, mm -hmm. and you're right back inside. Yeah. And um, then I myself am a former, <clears throat> formerly incarcerated person. Mm -hmm. I um, was fortunate to not go to prison, although I was sentenced to prison. Um, I received, it was my first time offense, I received joint suspended. Um, but I also, at that time, received the upper term for my first offense. So I would have spent three years, eight months in a, in a state prison for a first offense. Wow. Um, I actually got four years um, selling probation, which I completed, and um, it's been my path ever since. Mm. Now, you mentioned um, the, the perils of that space of not, of not being behind the walls. 
but not having complete freedom of movement. You know, this this period of, um, you know, whether whether whatever supervised release, you know, it is uh, probation or you know parole, whatever it is, um, and how easy it is to end up back inside. Um, what what was that observation like for you? Were you surprised to see that? You know uh, that you can go back in for something as simple as not having uh, an address on file, or you know how, how did how did that did how did that um, situate with you? It was shocking, um, and I actually did about a year and a half in the county jail. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did do some time, and that was also a revolving door. That wasn't my first time, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't my last. But that was the longest stint when I was um, convicted. And, um, you know, the system is set up for failure. It is not set up for someone to achieve success after they have been released. Um, There's certain stipulations and regulations that we all have to follow, but they don't make it easy on us. You know, failure to report a change of address, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just something so simple. And yet it can land you back inside. And they don't care if you're working, if you're doing well. That is not given consideration. The only thing they see is that, okay, you didn't give us this information. See ya. You're gone. Right. Right. And Um, and it's wrong. What um, do most people uh, give give me your, your take on this? And, and whether it be personal or your observation of others uh, while incarcerated, did those people there uh, feel as if they were as if they were forgotten? Basically, yes, because some don't have any family, and um, even myself. Mm-hmm. While I didn't totally forget that or totally feel that I was forgotten, I felt that the stigma of being placed in jail Mm -hmm. was a huge factor on my family relationships. Um, My ex-husband at the time would not allow my children to come and see me. Um, Phone calls were very few and far between because, you know, the phone calls announce, this is a collect call from a correctional facility, you know, and... um, there's a stigma, and when people hear the word jail or prison, they automatically assume, one, that you're guilty, two, that you, you must have done something terribly, terribly wrong, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to get there in the first place, and three, that you're a horrible person. Right. And, you know, none of those factors are true. Mm-hmm. Yes. We have people in prison who have committed horrendous crimes, but a majority of the people that are in prison or in jail are there for lesser offenses. Yeah. You know, drug offenses. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the stigma is real and it's lasting and um, it's hard to break that stigma. Once, once you've been labeled, you know, um, if you've been labeled, if you are a, a convicted felon, um, you are forever emblazoned. It is a life sentence. 
Yeah. It truly is. And then that's why I mentioned how important it is to have people advocating um, on behalf of those who are incarcerated, because I, I imagine advocacy for those who are incarcerated while while in the system, that it is a lot different. Um, you know, the, the, you know the, what you have at your uh, disposal, uh, the, the lines of communication, and your abil- ability to affect change. So, um, in terms of of you being an advocate, what are some of the reforms? Mm-hmm that your um, organization advocates for? Well, let me back up just a minute. You know, um, when you say that advocacy um, for people in prison is difficult, Mm -hmm. it is extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. And one major reason is because the prisons and the staff are less than transparent and less than truthful when it comes to our people inside. Okay. Um, Even if you are a family member and you have a power of attorney or a medical release or, um, you know, any signed paperwork by the prisoner allowing information to pass to you, they still don't give you very much information at all. And so... You mean the, the, um, mean the prison staff? Correct. Okay. Correct. Right. They don't have... They feel that they don't have to talk to us. Hmm. And so when you have a prisoner that is not getting proper medical treatment and you're advocating for them, we hit brick walls consistently, consistently. And it's a huge issue. Okay. So this this problem of, of transparency and receiving uh, receiving proper care is, is something huge. that is lacking. Okay. So well, right now... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, during the month of August, and I'm going to use this as an example, 16 prisoners died in Mississippi Department of Corrections. 16 in one month. What? In one month. After 12 or 13, um, the commissioner of Mississippi Department of Corrections finally enlisted, uh, said that she reached out to the FBI but the families don't have any answers. Oh, you mean as to the cause of death? Uh, as to the cause of death. Okay. As to what really transpired. Um, you know, we hear of a person that, um, and, and this happened in Mississippi as well, he was dying of cancer mm-hmm. and um, reached out to his mother, and uh, they would not allow her to come see him well when it got really really bad towards the end the chaplain called her told her that she could come and as she was making her flight arrangements called her back in 30 minutes and told her that her son had passed away wow i mean there's no humanity there's no compassion and there is a total disregard for life because we're labeled prisoner right now, do you monitor, does prison reform movement, does it monitor conditions in prisons? Um, how, how large is the, the, the scope? Uh, is it nationwide? Is, um, is it just in, in particular states? 
I used to just advocate basically from California because that's where I was from. Okay. Um, but in the last, I'd say probably eight to ten years, mm-hmm. we've taken this nationwide. And so we kind of work with other organizations to keep an eye on what's going on, not only with the state system, um, but with the federal system. Um, I currently am also a guardian angel for the Can Do Clemency Foundation, Mm -hmm. and I am advocating for the release of Connie Ferris, who is going to be 74 years old in October. She's a first-time white-collar crime offender, and she was sentenced to 12 years. She's applied twice for compassionate release because her husband has a rare form of muscular dystrophy. Mm -hmm. And within the federal compassionate release guidelines, um, there is criteria that she has met for her to be released um, so that she can go home to her husband who will soon be confined to a wheelchair or a bed. And um, she was approved. And then the general counsel for the Federal Bureau of Prisons decided to deny her, um, saying that she had not served enough time. Wow. And that by releasing her, we would negate the seriousness of her mail fraud offense. Mail fraud? Mail fraud. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Uh, let Let me dial back for a second. Um, I'm still thinking about these 16 people uh, that died in Mississippi uh, in their corrections uh, system. Was there any media coverage um, on this? It's been in the media. It has. Okay. Um, All right. Now, I'm not seeing it so much on TV, Uh but I am seeing it in um, various media outlets, you know, such as local in Mississippi, but I'm also seeing it national. I mean, this is a big deal. Right. 16 people don't often pass away in one month in a prison. Right. And then for the commissioner to say, well, we believe it's mostly natural causes, um, but we won't know for sure until the autopsies come back. Hmm. I mean, that's pretty much unheard of. So is it's there not normal. So is there a question of... Uh, their concerns of oversight um, with regard to well, with regard to death in particular. Um, they have no concern, and they show no concern. So I know that on the outside. So, like in Chicago, right? We have um, we have a basically a citizens advisory board, um, and it has investigative oversight over certain instances that take place regarding police and the use of violence. Um, and it's supposed to be this, this conduit that allows for some transparency, uh, you know, for the community. Is there anything that exists like this with regard to corrections? We don't see it a whole lot. Hmm. We would like to have more of a, like a citizen's advisory or an oversight yeah. for each and every prison throughout the United States. Mm-hmm. But we don't have that. We have um, some prisons, not all, 
have what we call an ombudsman, but we also have to understand that they are hired by the Department of Corrections. So they're being paid by the Department of Corrections. Right. And they are really limited as to what they can do for those of us on the outside when we want information um, and when we have problems. Um, you know, they're not going to go against the hand that's feeding them, so to speak. Right. Right. So in addition to, to transparency, uh, are there any other things that people who are not familiar with the system, because uh, it, it's that dreaded place for most people, they they don't believe it's as easy to end up there uh, as it actually is. It's very, you know, it's very easy uh, in, in the in the right or wrong conditions. Um, what are some of the uh, is there another particular or a really pressing issue that um, as somebody who works in this uh, in, in this field that you that you feel should be at the top of the list after transparency? What would you say? I do, and I want to back that up for just a minute. You know, um, the general public mm-hmm. does not understand that it is very easy to go to prison. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. Yeah. It's not difficult at all. You do not have to be a monster to go to prison. And um, the media and the government are largely responsible for the fear-mongering surrounding this. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like I said, not everyone in prison is a monster. Yes. In fact, a very small percentage, very small percentage. But right now, currently, um, we have the national prison strike going on. Okay. And um, they have issued a list of 10 demands. And, um, you know, I think the demands need to be publicized even more. It's been a huge issue. We started August 21, Mm -hmm. and it will run until September 9th. And most of the issues surrounding the demands are focused on basic human rights. You know, the first demand is immediate improvements to the conditions of prisons and prison policies that recognize the humanity of imprisoned men and women. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, when we have women in prison that can't even get feminine hygiene products, that they're humiliated when they ask for them, Mm -hmm. it's ridiculous. Absolutely. When you can't even get decent food. Um, the number two demand for the prison strike, an immediate end to prison slavery. All pr- persons imprisoned in any place of detention under United States jurisdiction must be paid the prevailing wage in their state or territory for their labor. Um, most prisoners make less than a dollar an hour for their work. Some prisons don't pay at all. And if you don't work, um, you're punished. Yep. And we have huge companies and corporations that are profiting off of our people in prison. And if I'm not mistaken, the United States government also has its own um, workforce. Um, And I I think it's centered around agriculture. but yeah, yeah. So our, 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 on a on a federal level, uh, this is also taking place. 
The federal contractor for um, the Bureau of Prisons is Unicor, mm -hmm. and they manufacture all sorts of um, items, and uh, they also contract out prison labor to many other companies. Right. Um, some are governmental, and they make, um, I've heard of them making like um, helmets to be used for the military and other military-type items. Yeah, Kevlar um, bulletproof vest. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So, so mm, I ahead. want to get back to the demands on the sure, prison please. strike, because this is like, I mean, I don't know if you've been keeping up with, um, you know, the media, mm -hmm. but this has been really big this year. Um, not so much, of course, on TV, right. but in the media and in major news outlets, you know, they're they're pretty much focusing on the slave labor aspect, but it's much more than just that. Like I said, you know, our men and women are in prison and they're suffering. Yes. And we don't place them there to suffer. We shouldn't strip them of their dignity. They're being removed from society. That mm. is the punishment. Right. Um, we have a moral and legal obligation to care for these people while we imprison them. Yeah, especially and if we're supposed to be happening. looking at uh, rehabilitation, which has really fallen off of the uh, fallen off the uh, the agenda um, in in the past past decade or two, um, with educational uh, opportunities taken out of quite a few uh, prisons around the country, uh, where people at one point would would go in. Uh, at the beginning of their, their time, uh, by the time they came out, they could come out with an actual, with a degree and ready to, you know, go back into the uh, workforce. Um, so I've got the list up um, as well. Um, if I could, I want to read this number four and, and, and get your commentary on this. So yeah. uh, the fourth, the fourth um, list, a fourth demand on the list is the Truth in Sentencing Act and the Sentencing, Sentencing Reform Act must be rescinded so that imprisoned humans have a possibility of rehabilitation and parole. No human shall be sentenced to death by incarceration or serve any sentence without the possibility of parole. Yes, and I think that speaks volume, volumes. You know, we have juveniles that have been incarcerated since they were in their teens mm -hmm. that are serving life without parole. Right. Um, we have people dying every day in prison that were never sentenced to death, that, you know, they're not under the sentence of the death penalty that are dying from a lack of medical care, from abuse. Um, sometimes, you know, we do have violence in the prisons, but that's because of the, the lack of the programs, the lack of rehabilitation. You can't expect to put someone in a cage, not treat them well, and then let them out, and they're going to be okay. Right, right. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, having, having structure... Uh, yes. And, and purpose, uh, that is, you know, that's, that's integral to, to any human being's sense of, uh, of wellness and identity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I don't think anybody um, is unredeemable. Mm -hmm. I think that most everybody deserves a second chance. And the culture and the culture and corrections is punish, 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 and not of healing. If we look at other countries like Germany, they really, really 
focus on repairing the harm and dealing with the person and not the crime. Yeah. I want to go. And they come out better Mm -hmm. people. Yes. Now, I want to go because I want to get through this this uh, this list and hear your thoughts and and talk about this. Um, Radio Song Family, uh, if you are just tuning in, we're talking. Our guest is Carol Leonard. She is an uh, advocate, um, an activist in prison reform. As a matter of fact, the uh, the name of the you can find her on on Twitter as well uh, in most of the platforms. But she's the founder of prison reform. So we're talking about the list of demands. Uh, that have been issued by, uh, by by prisoners, right? So the number the number five is an immediate end to the racial overcharging, oversentencing, and parole denials of black and brown humans. Black humans shall no longer be denied parole because the victim of the crime was white, which is a particular problem in southern states. Now, I'm not sure that because I go back again, because we're talking about a population of folks, we got over two million people that are incarcerated in the United States, and aside from their families and their their, their closest loved ones, people tend to not realize who's not with them. So mm-hmm. the conditions that uh, that that these people are are living with are not really they're not apparent, and in particular with this. Um, folks may not know that this is an actual this is an actual normal occurrence. It says black humans should no longer be denied parole because the victim of the crime is white. So this is particular to the southern states. Um, it's really not something, to be quite honest, not something that I had really thought about. I mean, knowing quite a bit about the history of the, uh, of the South, but just really hadn't thought about how that plays itself out in terms of sentencing. The system is racial. Yeah. It it is racist and you can have a white person and a black person convicted of the same crime and basically if they have the same record, you know, previous record, yeah. The black person is going to be sentenced more harshly and longer than the white person. Right. It is sentencing disparity and it's racial disparity and it's extremely prevalent. And we have people being denied parole and no rehabilitation based on their crime. And, you know, you can't put someone in prison and expect them to better themselves when you take away their hope. Right. Right. I mean, you just we can't do that. You know, I'm going to go down to number seven. You know, I'll read number six, but then I'll go right to number seven because I think we sort of covered. Number six is an immediate end to racist gang enhancement laws targeting black and brown humans. Uh, For the majority of, um, if we're talking about inner city, um, uh, inner city communities, if we're talking about black and brown uh, majority communities where police uh, tend to allocate their resources at much higher, much higher rates in those communities as opposed to their white counterparts. Um, and it's kind of, it kind of goes back to the old, you know, the idea that you catch the fish where, you know, where you cast your line or where you put your net at. Uh, if you are putting all of your resources in these communities, this is where the majority of your arrests will come from. Um, exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of cut and dry. Uh, so Sagging pants and a ball cap do not make a gang member. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yes. I mean, we have to stop the stereotyping. 
Yeah. And, and as much as much as I don't want to see anybody's underwear, um, I, <laughs> I, I, I will still say that to criminalize that is absolutely uh, it is absolutely wrong. Um, you know, and, and, and it's and it's dangerous. So aside from an, a, a visual annoyance uh, and, and maybe some, you know, old fashioned ideas on 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 on, on modesty. Uh, but but aside from that, that, that is a real problem to to profile guys and see them. You know, this is how all of them dress now, you know, white and black. I, I have to agree with you. Yeah. You know, and, and the hip hop culture took off what in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And if you, we look back um, because of harsher laws enacted at that same time, yeah. we had a boom and the boom of mass incarceration incarcerated more black people than ever before. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. And number seven speaks directly back to this. I think this under uh, this point is kind of undergirded our conversation up to this point, And that being uh, about um, rehabilitation. And uh, number seven is no imprisoned human shall be denied access to rehabilitation programs at their place of detention because of their label as a violent offender. Um, and I, I'll tell you folks who, once again, who may have never uh, step, set foot inside of a uh, correctional institution, a, a jail, a prison, um, or, or, or had charges, you know, see how charges are, are, are put on people, uh, violent offenders, um, if the, once again, all these labels, um, mm-hmm. the, all these labels are very easy to have put on you. Um, but more importantly, whether justified or not, if it is going to be a place of rehabilitation, which is, I think, it, it lends itself to a broader conversation, uh, not a broader, a more specific conversation as to the mission and the purpose of our correctional institutions, if they are actually there to correct or they are just there uh, as people storage. Now, if we're going to call them correctional institutions, and we're going to correct behavior, rehabilitate folks, then we need to make sure that we are giving access to programs and resources to people so that they can uh, they can be rehabilitated. I agree. And I think that we need to have a, um, a trauma-based approach mm. because, like I said, we do have some violent offenders. Yeah. But, you know, the term violent offender can include um, crimes that are actually not violent. Um, If you have a gun on your person when you're arrested, you can be labeled a violent offender and not not having even used the gun. Oh, wow. The same with a knife. You know, we have a lot of people in prison under this violent offender label that have never committed any acts of violence. Wow. And so what that that does is that perpetuates the myth that people in prison are bad and they're monsters. And that's not the case. And what we're doing is when we're labeling these people violent offenders, we're not giving them the chance to rehabilitate. We're not giving them the chance to educate. You know, they are pretty much... Um, especially in the southern states, mm-hmm. they are pretty much removed from any programs, and they're not able to rehabilitate. 
Right. Which means which means that they are most likely going to be. Uh, it's a good chance they're going to fall into that category of being the more disruptive um, uh, uh, inmate. Uh, and which means that, and there's a disciplinary record that follows you inside as well. So, absolutely, um, if people are not aware of that, I mean, you can go in uh, with a sentence of uh, a two-year sentence uh, and end up end up with life. You know, and and I've seen that uh, because of things that happened behind, you know, while inside. So, um, and I, I'll also attribute that back to without structure and without resources and programming and purpose. Um, you know, it says the idle mind is the, is the devil's uh, workshop. So, yeah. Right. So right. number eight is state prisons must be funded specifically uh, to offer more rehabilitation services. What are some of the rehabilitation services that, that, that come to mind when we, we think about this particular demand? Well, along with education, and we're not talking just you know, your basic GED program. Right. We're talking, you know, we want higher education in prison. Mm -hmm. And right now, um, that's really not being offered. Um, And when it is, it has to be paid for by the families and their correspondence classes, of course, Mm -hmm. and they're expensive. And me being a college student, I can tell you, um, it's expensive. And the books, um, the price for books are outrageous. Right. And um, we want to see some vocational training. Mm-hmm. And we also want to see, um, you know, they, they'll offer like barbering and cosmetology. Yeah. But yet, if you've been convicted of a felony, in many states, when you get out, you cannot use what you've learned in prison because you cannot get your licensing. That's right. Because of your conviction. That's right. There are over. So, there are over a you know, hundred. We need to change that. Yeah, there are over a hundred uh, different vocations, I believe, in Illinois. That if you are, if you are convicted of a, of a felony, uh, that you are not, um, you are not eligible for. Okay, so uh, let, let's let's move on to number nine. So number nine is Pell grants must be reinstated in all U.S. states and territory, territories, which speaks directly to this idea of rehabilitation and a life outside of uh, outside of prison. Right. So, And that goes back to the college education. You know, um, if I was not able to get a Pell Grant mm-hmm. at this point in my life, I would not be able to afford college. Right. And I definitely, I mean, when your books are over $250 a piece, um, it's very expensive. And a Pell Grant allows us to attend school and, um, you know, obtain a better life. And isn't that what we want when people come out of prison? They should have bettered themselves, and they should be able to go on with their life and be an integral part of society. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to read our our last one. Uh, I know our time is ticking on us. Number 10 the voting rights of all confined citizens serving prison sentences, pretrial detainees, and so-called ex-felons must be counted. Representation is demanded. All voices count. I, you know what? We could have led off with this one, but uh, I think this tremendously important 
think of all the votes to, to, to be removed from society, have your voice taken from you. Um, yeah, I think this, this is, I mean, they're all critical, but definitely, definitely this one. Number two. We have over 6 million people that are currently disenfranchised that cannot vote for one reason or another. Right. And, um, but yet they pay taxes. Mm-hmm. They work and they're being represented in the government. And this is um, taxation without representation. We do have a couple of states where, um, you know, people in prison can actually vote, one of them being Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, you know, some states you can't be on any paper, so you can't be on probation or parole. Right. You have to be totally free and clear. Some states um, you can vote, but you have to meet certain requirements. And so why can't it just be one law for all the states where no matter what, no matter what your status is, no matter where you're at, you're allowed to vote. Right. You're a citizen. Mm-hmm. Well, Carol, it has been, uh, it has really been informative uh, uh, and a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, this is this is really important work uh, that you're doing. So we uh, pray that you continue to do it. And um, yeah, just just keep up the great work, folks. You can you can keep up with Carol uh, the Prison Reform Movement on Twitter at Prison Reform MVT. That's M V T. Uh, any other handles you got? Um, no, that's it. Okay, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> All right, we appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with us here at Radio Slam. And wish you uh, continued uh, success. Thank you so much, Tariq. All right. I really appreciate it. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, Rita Slam family, we're going to take a short break. Maybe not that short. Long enough for us to catch our breath. But we'll be back in just a minute. This is Radio Slam on WCV 1450 AM. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. And we remind you, for those of you who are just checking in with us for the first time, keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. All right, so we're talking about uh, we're talking about prison reform, and one of the things uh, just to continue, uh, we were we talked about the the list, right? The the list of demands that uh, prisoners have stated there there ten there ten things. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and just to just to refresh uh, if you're just tuning in. So the national demands uh, that are uh, that are being made, uh, and this is uh, of the men and women in federal, immigration, and state prisons. So the first thing is immediate improvements to the conditions of prisons and prison policies that recognize the humanity of, imprison- of imprisoned men and women. Two, an immediate end to prison slavery. 
All persons imprisoned in any place of detention under United States jurisdiction must be paid the prevailing wage in their state or territory for their labor. Three, the Prison Litigation Reform Act must be rescinded, allowing imprisoned imprisoned humans a proper channel to address grievances and violations of their rights. Four, the Truth in Sentencing Act and the Sentencing Reform Act must be rescinded so that imprisoned humans have a possibility of rehabilitation and parole. No human shall be sentenced to death by incarceration or serve any sentence without the possibility of parole. Five, an immediate end to the racial overcharging, oversentencing, and parole denials of black and brown humans. Black humans shall no longer be denied parole because the victim of the crime was white, which is a particular problem in southern states. Six, an immediate end to racist gang enhancement laws targeting black and brown humans. Seven, no imprisoned human shall be denied access to rehabilitation programs at their place of detention because of their label as a violent offender. Eight, state prisons must be funded specifically to offer more rehabilitation services. Nine, Pell Grants must be reinstated in all U.S. states and territories. And 10, the voting rights of all confined citizens serving prison sentences, pretrial detainees, and so-called ex-felons must be counted. Representation is demanded. All voices count. Now, one of the questions that I asked Carol, if you were, um, if you were on for the, the first segment, was or one of the observations was that as a prisoner, as an incarcerated person, that there are challenges, there are difficulties that are present in being able to advocate, being able to uh, complain, offer any critique of the conditions that you live under. And she put it very, very uh, plainly, say, yes, it's almost impossible. It's extremely difficult, right? So when we think about this list of demands, We also have to ask, I would imagine, just as I'm thinking, you would be thinking as well, how are they going to make their demands known? How are they going to strike? So first thing that they have down here, first of all, it says, we all agree to spread the strike throughout the prisons of America from August 21st to September 9th, 2018. Men and women in prisons across the nation will strike in the following manner. So here's the game plan. This is how they're going to get it done. Number one, work strikes. Prisoners will not report to assigned jobs. Now, that's actually that's, that's pretty big if you've ever been in a prison and understand that the work that is that has to be done uh, in the prison is generally done by the prisoners. Now, yes, you have people, uh, employees that work in supervisory uh, capacities, but the bulk of that work from the laundry to the cooking, to the cleaning, to maintenance, all of these things, they fall on the the uh, incarcerated persons. They fall on the prisoners. So it says each place of detention will determine how long its strike will last. Some of these strikes may translate into a local list of demands designed to improve conditions and reduce harm within the prison. Now, this is... This is important. Um, first off, if you 
if you commit a crime, if you go through the system um, and you are judged, you know, you get a guilty verdict and you're sentenced to prison, you've been sentenced to prison, yes. You're incarcerated, yes. But you have not been and should not be stripped of your humanity. Now, I know it's easy for us to just paint with a broad brush and go with the worst case scenario, the worst uh, the worst model that we could think of for that person that's in prison, the person that has gone on a uh, a killing spree, or the psychopath, or uh, the person, you know, the, the arson, you know, what, whatever it is. It's, it's easy to let that be our model, the archetype for all those who are behind prison walls. And the problem in that, sometimes the easy thing, a lot of times the easiest thing is not the, in this case, it would be the absolute wrong thing. I want to remind you all of something. If you have seen the Khalil Browder, uh, Browder story, this is a young man in uh, New York who, unfortunately, he was he was arrested for, I think, stealing a backpack. I think he was like 15 years old. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's about 15 years old. He was arrested. He was put in, I think he was in Rikers, like little fella. And he was, I mean, he went through three years of, of hell, three years of torment, of, of being jumped on, three years of abuse by those he was incarcerated with and also by those who were charged with his safety. And he was approached several times by the, uh, by the uh, district, uh, state's attorney or district attorney or whoever, you know, the prosecutor is. He was approached several times by the prosecutor and, and said, look, if you just cop to this right if you uh if you agree to admit um that you are guilty of whatever the the charge was then we'll let you out time served but he was so adamant he was so adamant in uh in maintaining and preserving his innocence that he said no I'm not signing on anything I'm not I'm not doing it and he didn't and eventually, I think it was like three years, a little, little bit over three years, um, went by, and they just finally one day told him, okay, you can get out. Now, in the meantime, his, his bail or his bond was not that high, but his family, like so many other families, were impoverished. So many people who get caught up in the system, are they fall below the poverty line. They're working poor. Their families don't have access to the uh, the resources that wealthier families do. So when it was time to post post bond, he couldn't do it. His family they didn't have the money, so he endured that three years. Longer story short, the young brother came out with serious psychological trauma. Uh, he also, while he was inside, he in, uh, he was uh, on uh, what's what's the word um, segregation. And that has been shown to, that has been documented to produce, um, you know, hallucinations and, and all, time of, all types of, of mental, psychological uh, distress. But he came out with paranoia and, and other problems, and the young man took his own life. Now, why do I mention that? I mention that because when we talk about being able to advocate, um, for yourself in those conditions, it is almost it, it almost goes without saying as an individual that ability 
uh, it is not there. And the people that are in prisons, these are not people who are, uh, who we should see as people who do not have the, are not deserving of, of, of dignity. No, we, we shouldn't see that. There, there are a lot of factors that we don't look, that we don't think about, that we don't talk about, that we're not aware of. And so I bring up his story just to show how economics, uh, it, it plays a huge role. So when you have, we've, we've got prisons that are filled with people who have taken plea deals that just in, were circumstances different. They had the money to, to afford representation. They wouldn't be in prison. But we have a whole lot of people in prison who fit that same same mold, that same uh, that same model of a Khalil um, um, router. So number two, what's the next thing? Number two is going to be sit-ins. This is what they're going to do in order to um, to make their position known. It says in certain prisons, men and women will engage in peaceful sit-in protests. Wonderful, right? Might be an assumption that because you're in prison, that everything is a riot that everything is going to be solved um, by physical means. But no, they're using the same, the same types of uh, tactics that nonviolent resistance uses outside. They're using the same ones inside. So in certain prisons, and they, and they leave this up to those who are incarcerated to gauge the terrain for yourself, engage in peaceful sit-in protests. Number three, boycotts. All spending should be halted. And this is huge. I'm going to read this whole thing first before I say anything about this. It says, we ask those outside the walls not to make financial judgments for those inside. Men and women on the inside will inform you if they are participating in this boycott. We support the call of Free Alabama Movement Campaign to Redistribute the Pain 2018. As Benu Hannibal Rasan, formerly known as Melvin Ray, has laid out, with the exception of refusing visitation. Um, you know, we might need to look into this as well, the redistribution of the pain. But I can say, I can tell you this, that when you when you talk about affecting change, there's always an economic, that's the easiest way. That is the easiest way to get the attention of those who are, um, who are causing you grief, who are causing you difficulty. Hit them in the pockets. So it's all spending should be halted. And if you are not familiar with the economy in a prison or in a jail, then you should know that everything there is vastly overpriced. Vastly overpriced. Um, I wish I had the number on me. The, but just in terms of making a phone call, a one uh, a ten minute phone call could cost as much as thirty dollars. Right, a ten minute phone call. Because you're calling collect, right? You, you know you're not going to have cell phones in the prisons, and and rightfully so. Right, they are a, a security risk, right? So we're not just, you know, we're in, we're in support of human dignity, but we also in support of having order for those who are in these in these spaces, uh, and that would definitely take away from that. But spending should be halted. So commissary, where they sell. They sell shampoo, and they sell uh, conditioner, and they sell um, little Debbies and summer sausages and potato chips and all of these other things that they sell, right, up to televisions. And they sell them all with huge 
huge markups. They sell them all with huge, huge markups. So that, once again, that could have been number one. Honestly, that could have been number one. Don't spend any more money because the from the vendors, the people, you know, they have a captive audience. They would love to have those accounts to be servicing a, a prison and bringing in a little Debbie that you pay for, you pay a, for a box of oatmeal cream pies, you know, and, excuse me, in, uh, uh, in, in your regular grocery store, you pay a dollar and 15 cents for them. But in the prisons, that's triple or quadruple or more. So hit them in the pockets, right? All spending should be halted. I think that is, that is a wonderful, that is a wonderful, um, a wonderful tactic. So number four, hunger strikes. Men and women shall refuse to eat. And this is this definitely requires a level of commitment that has been demonstrated um, not just here, but in other places. You know, who comes to mind? Uh, Gandhi, I think most famously uh, comes to mind. We think about hunger strikes uh, within uh, being practiced, uh, used as a, as a tactic of of, uh, of resistance. So I got, it is only fitting uh, that they would also in, engage in this to let people know their, the level of their commitment. So um, we come on to how you can help. Now, this is important uh, because you would be, I don't think you would be surprised. It's not something we talk about. We don't talk about who in the family is locked up. That's not a conversation. That, you know, it's not a, a dinner party conversation. You know, you come in, you introduce yourself. You have anybody in your family in prison? You know, you don't do that. But the reality is, uh, if we have 2 million people, over 2 million people that are in the system right now, that's 2 million families, right? That's over a million families. And I did that. I did it that way because sometimes you have multiple people from the same family that are in prison. I mean, and that's, that, is, that is a heartbreaking reality. But even if half, you know, even if you have half of that, you have over a million families. So it is probably a lot more common than we recognize, uh, particularly in the in the larger um, uh, cities in the country. So what they are asking for, how we can help on the outside, says make the nation take a look at our demands, demand action on our demands by contacting your local, state, and federal political representatives with these demands. Ask them where they stand. And I think that is only fair. Right? We, no one should be stripped of their, of their dignity. Uh, and that's, that's at the, the, the crux of, of all of this. Uh, and if our places of, um, if our prisons are going to be what they are called, all right, correctional institutions, then we need to make sure that, and to go back and, and borrow a phrase from Carol, that there is a trauma-based approach as well uh, within, within the, um, the way that prisoners are being dealt with. Because they're, quite often the people that are in these positions, there's something that has gone wrong. Right? So we should be looking to repair, right? make well. We should be looking to restore individuals. Uh, and really live up to this idea of, of, of correction, uh, which means that we've got we've got to we have to reorganize 
and we've got to hold those institutions that are responsible for administering that correction, make sure that that's, that's exactly what they're doing, that they are rehabilitation-focused, that they are, uh, they are instituting uh, transparency, that they are, they are really looking to prepare people to reenter society. So contact the supporting local organization to see how you can be supportive. Uh, if you're unsure of who to con- uh, connect with, email Millions for Prisoners March. Millions for Prisoners March at gmail.com. That is Millions for Prisoners March at gmail.com. And be prepared by making contact with people in prison, family members of prisoners, and prisoner support organizations in your state to assist in notifying the public and media on strike conditions. Uh, assist in our announced initiatives to have the votes of people in jail and prison counted in elections. And I think that's, that is critical. Uh, particularly, once again, you know, this is a, we have a big election coming. Think of the all of our past elections, and think about we think uh, terms about you know uh, uh, terms like gerrymandering, um, where districts are redrawn to give one party a an advantage over another. When we think about um, uh, certain acts that have taken place or. Uh, or, or some of the attempted acts in terms of clo- closing polling places, you know, uh, in areas that are that have folks that they don't want voting. And generally, we you know we're talking about African American um, communities uh, that who have been the uh, target of this type of tactic. Think about what it means to have those people who are incarcerated also able to exercise that same constitutional. Um, uh, constitutional right. But it's not just those who are incarcerated. It's also those who, once they have they have left, they have uh, gone through their uh, probation, and they have served their time, who are still also stripped of that right to vote. And that right needs to be restored to them because uh, if you pay on taxes, you've got to be, you should be able to vote. Right. What's the whole thing? No taxation without representation. So that's that that's that's real. And the last thing, um, I think I mentioned already. I said assist in our announced initiatives to have the votes of people. Yes, so that's the very that's the very last thing. It's something that we should be mindful of. Uh, it is much more prevalent than we think. Uh, you know, it takes a toll on families, not just the individuals who are incarcerated, because while they're doing time, the families are also doing time as well. Uh, but we want to make sure that the, that that is productive time. Uh, that it is a rehabilitative time and make sure that people are coming out of prison better than they went in. Um, and that's it. So, all right, Radio Sound family, we're going to go ahead and uh, shut it down for the day. We want to thank our engineers once again over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. We thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, assistant producer Ibrahim Baig. I'm your host and producer Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid, and we remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guest are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. We're going to leave you now as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.